change your inner armor. Welcome to the Inner Armor Podcast with Dr. Timothy Royer, where we explore ways to train our brains and bodies to become dynamically resilient so that we can all, from professional athletes to ordinary people, perform at our potential. So, Doc, we've been sitting outdoors here on a beautiful September day in West Michigan, and we're talking about mental health, which seems a little bit discordant as we're sitting outside on a beautiful, perfect day, but it's an important topic because it is something that, right, I mean, it keeps people from being able to enjoy a perfect September day like this because of the struggles that they're having. And we've talked about how your real mission and your real passion, really the mission and passion of Royer Neuroscience Inner Armor is to help people live better lives and to be the best versions of themselves, whether you're an elite athlete or an ordinary person, right? So we've been talking about mental health and in the last episode, we threw out some of these statistics and a few episodes ago, we talked about the, the mental health disorders that are, that are coming on as a tsunami, so for some people who haven't heard of a tsunami, it's a kind of wave, sometimes called a tidal wave. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting about tsunamis is that they sneak up on you, okay? So when you look at a big wave, like in Hawaii or Portugal, when the champion surfers surf these 100-foot waves, those are wind-driven. A wind, a, a big storm, a typhoon or something piles up these big, and they're pretty, they're shaped, you know, they have a big curl, right? Mm -hmm. But tsunamis are not caused by something on the surface like wind. They occur deep, deep under mm -hmm. the ocean. Mm -hmm. uh, what they are is water is displaced. Okay? So imagine you have a bathtub that you've kind of filled up to the brim, and then you kind of plunk yourself down into it. Mm -hmm. Okay? Yeah. So your body is going to displace some of that water, and what's going to happen? It's going to slosh over the top. So what happens in a tsunami is way out there in the ocean, there's a, an event, there's a, an earthquake, there's a landslide on an undersea mountain, and it, it displaces billions or trillions of gallons of water, and that water has to go somewhere. So it sloshes across the ocean mm -hmm. up onto the land. And when people experience tsunamis, it isn't like, hey, here's this giant wave, like perfect surfer wave coming at you. It just feels like the ocean starts rising, like swelling, and it just sort of keeps coming. And it comes in waves as it just sort of sloshes up onto the land, and it just will devastate everything in its path. Mm -hmm. Okay, so why are we talking about this? Because when we look at the mental health disorders in America today, and how over the last 20, 30 years, this almost crazy rate of growth, we have to say it's like this tsunami, this mm -hmm. sloshing, overwhelming rising of mental disorders in America, and you sort of didn't see it coming. Because like the tsunami in the ocean, it's caused by stuff that happens deep below the surface, right? Deep in our culture, deep in our society, there are these fractures, these displacements, it, it disrupts life, it displaces key elements of our human lives, and the consequence of that is what we're living through now, right? Yeah, you brought in this concept a few months ago, and just I've been thinking more and more through how it does mirror what we are experiencing, because you can have one of these tsunamis on a perfect 
beautiful day. I mean, yeah, the I, one in uh, the Indian Ocean that I think killed a quarter of a million yeah. people, 250,000 people, yeah. okay, lost their lives. They were out on the beaches doing yeah. normal things. It wasn't like there were these big waves. And, yeah, there uh, was one in Thailand a few years ago. And yeah, people were out on the beach, laying out in the sand, having yeah. a good time. And all of a sudden, it's like the water just starts rising. Yeah. And it keeps rising. And yeah. it just keeps coming and coming and coming. Yeah. I think they. I read on that one that the actual disruption was 800 miles long in, in the ocean, yeah. which is just massive. And it starts off on these like little, just small three foot waves that can be miles, like 50 miles long in between waves. But then all of a sudden it builds up when it hits the change in the land surface. So it is so much like what we're experiencing because if you put it all on paper and said, okay, iPhones, Teslas, uh, increase the economy do all these different things like you would say man this should be the least amount of depression anxiety that any culture ever experienced not a 40 percent increase in the last 20 years i mean that's that doesn't make any sense it just seems like a beautiful sunny day on the beach when we look at all the different things that we're experiencing yeah, it's, it's interesting you point that out because if you were to look at all of human history, you would have to say that we live in the time when humanity is fattest and happiest. Yeah. We've never had more material goods, more material comforts, more protection from uh, diseases mm -hmm. uh, like viral diseases, health care. Uh, the average human has never had more calories available to them to eat. Most people, even though hunger is an issue, most people don't really worry about famine and starving, at least in the developed world. But those were real things in the past. And so then you, like you say, you go, well, if we've, in a sense, never had it so good, then why are we having this tsunami of mental health disorder? Like the better things get, in a sense, the worse our mental health becomes. And that just seems like a real weird disconnect. So we wrote about it in this book that we've got coming out. And we, we said, we have to look at these, what are these displacements that happen to deep in our society, much like deep in the ocean, the displacements led to a tsunami, right? Yeah. So let me throw a couple out to you that we, we talked about and get your thoughts on them. One thing is if you go back to the 70s and 80s, and the things that we're going to say right here are, I mean, there's a thousand historians and sociologists who have written about this. This is, I think, kind of established thinking uh, right. at this point. But what we went through in the 60s and the 70s into the 80s is a sort of fundamental economic shift in the developed world. And it was a shift from an industrial-based economy where people made things to a service economy. Mm -hmm. Right. And that put real disruptions on how people's ordinary life played out. Right. So the scale of your life changed. If, if you look at a service driven economy, it requires you to interact with people in a different way than, say, an agricultural economy or an industrial economy. 
And the other thing is that in a service-based economy, people become commoditized, mm-hmm. right? I need, some, I need a barista to pour me my coffee at Starbucks. And you can be replaced with somebody else. You can be replaced with a machine. You can be replaced with this. And in some sense, people during the shift in the 60s, 70s, going to the 80s, became commodified in their work. Right. They became more and more disconnected from the things that they produced. You couldn't sit there and say, here's the crop that I grew in my field. Here's the car that I helped assemble. Now I'm just a cog in a sort of weird service-based economy machine. And a lot of sociologists have written about this and how it sort of disrupted the human psyche. You have any thoughts about that? We're made to create, okay? What I believe is that I've been created by a creator, right? And that creator created me to create, is to make things or to to work the land in some way, whatever that might be, to, to be constantly moving forward, innovating, learning. When we're not learning, we're, well, we're always learning, but when we're not actively learning and creating, that the mind and the body doesn't like that. It likes, I always say we're either moving forward or we're moving backward. We're never like, like in the middle. And I, I always remember one of our kids who, whenever summer would come, it was a great break for her and for us. And, but she loves to learn. I mean, she's a big learner. All the kids do, but she was like, she loves to learn. And we could always tell mid July that it was time to go back to school because there wasn't lear- any learning on going on and she would become a little bit more irritable, a little bit more edgy. And we're like, man, she's got to get back. <laughs> we got to get her back to school because it was like, right. it all, it fueled her. Right. And, and that, that in a microcosm is our bodies really want that is they want to learn, create, make. And I recently have built, this house with my son-in-law and or subcontracted a lot of things but also did a lot with my hands and i was just floored by how difficult it is to find people who work with their hands anymore the the trades are almost like gone yeah it's impossible yeah. to find people that just want to like go out and kind of work with their hands and make stuff not that we all need to be doing that but there is kind of a lack of appreciation for that. Like, that's really cool. When you watch like a oh, yeah. a, a brick mason, oh, you know, build yeah. things. But, you know, in a, another 20 years, we, we won't be able to find anybody to lay right. bricks. Right. Because nobody does it anymore because it is such a service oriented. Like, there isn't this balance of like, well, there's part of the culture that does this and we respect people who are creating and making and not just with our hands but with our minds making and creating but we're made to create and when we don't create and you stifle that and we just consume yeah we're consuming we're not creating that that causes major issues for us yeah i mean that disconnect from our work that disconnect from making and learning like you say that disconnect from seeing a a sense of value to what we produce and that shift of the service economy in the 60s and the 70s days was a, a thing that sociologists identify here's another one during that exact same period especially in the united states we became a car culture Mm -hmm. a commuter culture 
So before that, maybe the family had a family car or whatever. But now, because we became this commuting culture, a service economy, people worked further and further from their home, and and women started to go to work. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but it was a sociological change. Now, we need two cars in the family, and then the kid needs a car to get to their part-time job, right? Now everybody's living in their cars, and there's a real change in what human life feels like when you're spending your time in your car, even... The fact that that was the rise of the drive-through. So now we drive through McDonald's to get our egg McMuffin on the mm-hmm. way to work. We drive through somewhere Taco Bell to get our lunch. We drive through something on the way home, and it fundamentally changes our lives. It's also the same period time when we saw the growth of obesity and diabetes. Absolutely right. And so, if you go back and talk to your grandparents about what life was like where they felt more connected to their work. They touched things, built things, made things. They didn't spend half their life in their car. They didn't spend half their life driving through fast food places. So talk a little bit about that, how that fundamental shift may have affected our health and our mental health, our nervous systems. Yeah, I think, and we're also finding out now after COVID is that many people are even just staying in their home, <laughs> right? They're not like, they're not getting out and interacting with people in the workplace and that kind of thing, which becomes another issue. You're coming even more sedentary. Now you're not even walking to the car and walking <laughs> from the parking lot to your job. Right. You're just sitting on your, you know, yeah. in your chair, you know, in your shorts, doing your Zoom meeting. But what has happened is we've created a disconnect and that's not worldwide like i have two kids that live outside the united states one in japan and one in uh the netherlands and it is striking to be in europe and you know be in the u.s one day and then be in the netherlands the next where there's more there's more bikes in the netherlands than there are people and not a ton of cars around everybody's biking all over the place they're walking they're out eating meals together uh, into all hours of the night, spending all this social interaction. And I just, when I'm there, I feel healthier because I don't have a car and I'm walking to, you know, maybe a half a mile to my daughter and son-in-law's house and baby Amelia, who's on the scene here. And, uh, you know, we're walking there and we're walking back. Uh, It's it's a different kind of pace. And uh, there's a... There's this like connection with the world around you versus this shut the doors and just kind of, and I understand we can't like, like make this stuff disappear, but there's a certain aspect that if you change it, you have to be cognitively aware of like, I need to be like offsetting this. Like for every reaction, there's an equal, you know, reaction. Like we need to like balance that out. Right. And so our awareness that, being in these this car culture so much is taking away from something it's not like all of a sudden the hours in the day change from 24 hours a day there's still 24 hours in the day and so then the question is well what's getting taken away right and so we have to be if more than any time in our culture we have to be keenly aware of that especially here in the U.S. where we're so spread out and say, well, what am I doing 
to help compensate for that, for my body just being sedentary, for the lack of interpersonal interaction that happens from, you know, a lot of this change in the commuter culture. I've, I've led group tours to Europe, and I take a group of 20 or 30 people or something to some historic city in Italy or wherever. And for 10 days, we walk around and we see the sights and we, and it's interesting because by about the third or fourth day, everybody on the group tour will start saying, I feel so good. And we walked on my Fitbit or whatever, or my Apple watch, we walked like nine miles today. And I got up and I just had a little, you know, a little cappuccino and a whatever. And then we walked all day and, and it was so special and it felt so magical. Right. And it so feels so different. And part of it is, is that if you look at the architecture and city planning, those historic cities were built on a human scale. Mm. So literally like the width of the road, you go through a historic city in Italy or France or Hungary or whatever, and the road is only so wide because they were designed for people to walk through. Right. And the, the layout of the buildings and everything is designed at a human scale. I'll tell you an interesting story about that that I think bears on this. I knew a guy who had been a Disney Imagineer. Hmm. And he had been involved in some of the architecture designing the Disney resorts. And so anyway, he was telling me why it is that Main Street at Disneyland in California works better than the main street at Disney World in Orlando. Hmm. And he said, when Walt Disney built Disneyland, the first one in, in Anaheim, if you go down Main Street, it's all built to like three-fifths or four-fifths scale. Hmm. So the, the doorways are only so big. They're only so wide. The street's on the sidewalk, right? And he said that's because Walt Disney wanted the the visitor, especially kids, to feel special. Hmm. The, the they feel special there because they're bigger, they're more important, the, mm -hmm. right? And he said when they built Orlando, they like, well, we have to move people through this as many people as mm -hmm. we can move through in an hour. So they built that to full scale. And he said when you walk down the street and in and out of the shops, it doesn't have this sort of magical feel. So what do we talk about that? Because that that really happened in every town in America. We began to build everything to be a car culture. We built every, we stopped building things at human scale. Our lives became oriented around the car, around service economies, around these kinds of things. And in a sense, the same thing that Walt Disney said is, I want people, especially children, to feel special and valued that are modern even our modern architecture and city planning and lifestyle does not make them feel special and valued yeah and what we would say is how does that affect me upstream in my nervous system in the autonomic nervous system which requires a balancing of stress relaxation a certain amount of parasympathetic and sympathetic activity is this shift good on one level, but on another level, if I do the, the math on it, there's time being taken away from these stress and recovery pieces that my body needs to function. My body does need to be walking 
and moving. Your heart needs to be moving. Psychologically, you need to be experiencing the environment, especially the the sun and the outdoors for things like vitamin D, but most importantly for your sleep cycles. And when that gets all disrupted, the whole system starts to go downstream. So it's very interesting that while externally you can look at all these lying on the beach sunny days, which we're living in, right, like we said, but internally there's this tsunami happening inside of people where it's building because building to a crisis because their autonomic nervous system isn't getting what it needs. Uh, the biggest factor in this is how these things impact our sleep cycle, which we'll get into in a little bit. But you can't just add the comfort in a certain way without looking at, okay, what is that good or bad for my autonomic nervous system? And if it's not feeding into the autonomic nervous system to make it stronger. So stress is good, but it needs to be balanced with rest. So we do something like this sedentary activity. What am I going to do to balance that out? How am I going to, I just did this trip up here to Michigan and 11 hour trip first thing I think when I get out of the car is like, I got to go for a walk, right? Like I did, right. because it's so accentuated, right? And that makes sense. We all feel that when we're stuck in a car. But what happens when it's a half an hour here or an hour there or the club soccer game that I got to drive my kid to, to the other side of the state of Michigan? Not that I have any resentment <laughs> <laughs> about been all, the, all those there, trips to Detroit. But, you know, two hours over, two hours back, yeah. half the day's gone in yeah. the car. Like, yeah. is that just going to come without any, like, impact on me? Right. You know? No, my body is a living be- breathing creature that's yeah. learning and is learning some of the wrong things in the way that we the comforts of our culture i think about when you and i've talked about this groundbreaking experimentalist hans selye the guy the father of stress and he took the rats and he would take the lab rats and he would put them in like uncomfortable things like up in the attic where it was cold or in the furnace room or whatever and the rats had this stress now it's an open question that is goes beyond the scope of this podcast of whether rats have a sense of identity and consciousness does rat does the rat say hey i'm bob the rat and i don't like that i don't feel valued but when you take a human being and you put them into stressful situations that in a sense they don't feel valued because it strikes me that that shift to the consumer economy the commuter economy everything else shifted us from being seen as people to being seen as consumers Mm -hmm. and we're valued as consumers because we'll buy stuff. But all of a sudden, like the kid at Disney who no longer feels valued mm-hmm. by the surroundings, the environment, everything else, does that that perception of a lack of value begin to work on your autonomic nervous system, to work on your brain in certain ways that it ratchets up uh, that, that sense of anxiety? Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I think it's back to this whole creating versus consuming concept am i creating am i involved in my own personal well-being and in the well-being of people around me what am i doing that is creating positive change in myself and in the world around me that's what i was made to do that's what you were made to do not just consume everything 
consume social media 11 hours a day. I mean, that's ridiculous. Is what are you doing to like impact the world around you? And you do enough of that consuming, you will eventually lose your identity, who you are as a person emotionally. You're not developing that resiliency that you need to. And so paying attention to that and the autonomic nervous system is super important. And it's one of those things that is a fracture component is going from creating to consuming and trying to find, well, where is that balance? What a great transition, because here's the next big shift that people talk about. So while this was all going on, we were shifting to a service economy, while we were shifting to a commuter economy, the technological revolution came along. Right. And we shifted to people who consume content through screens. So like I still remember, Doc, I, I, I don't know how old you are or how much <laughs> what you remember, but I still remember being a kid and my mom kicking us outside and saying, don't come back till the streetlights come on. Yeah. Right. And um, and so we would, you know, go outside and do a thousand kind of things, you know, and um, and don't come back till the streetlights are on. Mm -hmm. And then what happened somewhere in those late 60s, 70s was we started to put televisions not only in our house, but multiple televisions in our house. Right. So now there wasn't just the one TV set with a little oval screen that sat in the middle of the room where. People watched Bonanza or something, but now the kids had TVs in their rooms. And so the technological revolution began with the consumption of television. And of course, that is a consumption because the, the TV networks, the producers, the conferences are trying to, you know, with commercials are trying to sell stuff, right? They want you to be what? They want you to watch. They want ratings. They want you glued to it. And so you began to see this transition where people became more sedentary. They became consumers of television, consumers of TV shows in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evenings, right? Children began to consume more and more of it. And if you think, too, about what they're consuming and the quality of what they're consuming and the life it portrays, but there's just even that screen blasting that content to you more and more and more to the point that now kids aren't going outside until the streetlights come on. Right. Right. And then on the heel of that, we began in the early 80s, the, the personal computer revolution. So now it wasn't just the television. It was your PC. And increasingly you could do stuff and your game console. Right. Remember the earliest game consoles, the Nintendo, you know, Atari's and the Nintendo's. Now your kid is playing video games and watching television. And th then it was the rise of the cell phone in the early mm -hmm. 2000s. You know, the first smartphone, the iPhone comes out in like 2003, 2004. And what's interesting is that in our last episode, we were talking about the growth of these things. And when you lay over that timeline with the growth of these mental health disorders. So the first iPhone comes out like 2003, 2004, over exhaust 20 years we have a 40% increase in anxiety and depression. Isn't that amazing? I mean, the core, whether it's causation or not, it's yeah, just... correlation or causation. You have to, like, look at that and say, well... I mean, I know physiologically and neurologically that it doesn't... We won't even talk about the content on the computer or on the iPhone, but the constant blue light in your face is a major disruption to your circadian rhythm. And that is a, a huge component. If we just look at this technological device and how much time we're spending on it and how that's going to 
impact my production of cortisol and my production of melatonin, which set the bedrock of my sleep cycle. You can't walk away from this exponential increase in use of these devices without saying this has had a major disruption on my hormone production. Centers for Disease Control, okay? The CDC reports that the average American now spends seven hours and four minutes per day staring at a screen, including three hours and 43 minutes at their phone. That's more than half of our waking hours. No wonder we have bad backs, bad eyes, obesity, diabetes, right? Isolation, anxiety. The CDC also reports that children spend more time on devices than you might think. Okay? With children under two years old, I'm trying to wrap my brain around this, under two years old looking at screens for at least an hour daily. <laughs> so are you what, you putting the kid in a, in like in a bouncy chair and turning on, you know, a TV? Eight to 10 year olds, again, CDC stats, eight to 10 year olds average eight hours per day and teens in the United States are over nine hours daily. Okay? Six in ten Americans now say that social media negatively affects their mental health. 13% of kids aged 12 to 17 report depression and 32% report anxiety. 70% of children as young as 12 say social media makes them feel stressed, anxious, and depressed. A 2019 study found that teenagers who use social media for more than three hours daily are more likely to experience mental health problems. On and on and on and on and on. I can give you more and more and more. What say you, Doc? Yeah, I mean, the just, I want to just look at it physiologically and neurologically without even like the content of what these things are and what they're saying to me about myself. And I'm, again, consuming, consuming, consuming. Am I creating, creating, creating? Am I going outside till the lights go off and trying to create a world that's actually much richer than anything you're ever going to find on your phone? Those days that you spent outside building forts and playing tag and, you know, all the different things that you were doing were far more impactful on your overall resilience and who you are as a person. But let's just take this, okay? Our bodies and brain work off of the sun, okay? The sun is what sets our circadian rhythm. And it's not coincidental that as we've disrupted our exposure to this wonderful thing in the sky that strengthens our body and our brain, as we've limited that, because again, you can't just add these things and create a gap in this other space and not fill it without some type of repercussion. So here we're sitting outside, okay? On my phone, I, I carry, I have a light meter and it measures how many foot candles or lumens that you're gonna get from the sun, okay? If I walk through the door there and I step inside and I start working on my computer, I start checking my phone, playing a video game, whatever I'm doing inside, I'm gonna, and I looked at my light meter, turn my light meter on, I'm gonna have about 50 to 60 foot candles or lumens that my brain is gonna be exposed to. That is such a small volume that my brain it cannot figure out when I go on inside 
what time of day it really is, okay? So that door is over there, it's about 20 feet from us, okay? If I come here to this table and I turn on my light meter, we're gonna be over 12,000, 12,000 foot candles or lumens of light that is gonna be present to me right out here on this patio in this recording versus on the other side of that door. And what's happened is our, in our culture is we're all crammed on the other side of that door, whether it's in our offices, whether it's in our homes, in our bedrooms, in our cars, and we're not getting out into this thing that gives us energy and power. My vitamin, I'm gonna take this light and I'm gonna turn it into vitamin D. One of the main reasons we have experienced a crisis of vitamin D production, which leads to so many illnesses, is because we're just, we're not simply outside, yeah. okay? The other thing that's gonna happen is, because I don't know what's going on with the sun, my circadian rhythm is going to get disrupted. So that first 30 degrees of the sun rising from zero to 30 degrees is going to set the pattern of my sleep-wake cycle. If I'm inside checking my Instagram, my Facebook, and I'm missing that first 30 degrees, my brain doesn't know, should I be releasing, my body doesn't know, should I be releasing cortisol, which is essential to my circadian rhythm? which is going to set the tone for the next 14 hours of how much melatonin I'm going to produce. And so what happens is because we're not getting outside, just simply getting outside, is we're completely depleting our normal melatonin production. Okay, That depletion of our melatonin production because we're not working with the sun is dramatically impacting our sleep. In the early 1900s, the average person in the US was sleeping nine hours and 10, nine hours and 10 minutes a night, okay? Healthy, right around eight. Right now, the average person in the United States is around six hours and 50 minutes of sleep. Again, just like we said with the onset of technology in the last 20 years, we've seen this major flood of sleep disruption. Most people don't even know if they should be measuring their, or they're not measuring their sleep. But if they would, they'd find out one of the causal agents to anxiety, depression, substance abuse is this disruption in sleep. And it's because we've filled the necessary gaps that we need to have physiologically and neurologically with, with stuff that is taking away from the essential things that we need from our environment. But you think about, uh, you go to Vegas and you go to the yes. casinos, right? And what's the hallmark of every casino? There's no windows. There's yep. no clocks. Right? Exactly. And there's no straight line to move through it. So you're sort of trapped in this timeless maze of light and sound and noise. When my daughter was a teenager. I'd taken her on a trip somewhere and she was always an outdoorsy person just every second that she could be outdoors. And and somehow we were on this trip and there was a casino or something near where we were staying. And she goes, I've never been in a casino. I want to see what it's like. And I said, oh, I'll take you over and let you experience this. So I took her in there. She was in there for about 20 minutes. She goes, this is yucky. I don't like it yeah. in here. Like I, I feel disconnected from it's just light and noise and sound and I can't see the outdoors. And, and yet that's what 
as you're saying, that's what our lives have become, whether it's a casino or, or it's we're sort of creating these virtual casinos in our lives with screens and noise and, and consumption in our cars and our this and our that. And I, let me add yeah. one other thing to that. Let's let's take what we do know, okay? Yep. In something called seasonal affective disorder, yeah. okay, which is depression that occurs during certain times of the year because of changes in the seasons from the summer solstice to the winter solstice. Here in Michigan, we can have close to an eight-hour shift in sunlight. That's almost a full sleep cycle that will happen uh, because we're so far from the equator. Okay, but we're going to, I want you to think about how this works. Once you hit 30 degrees from the equator, all of a sudden seasonal affective disorder starts to kick in. So right around, I think it's Jacksonville, Tallahassee, Florida, you will start, if we do a line, you will start to see seasonal affective disorder start to increase significantly because of the difference in sunlight that's going to occur during those seasons. We get up to Alaska. I mean, everybody knows what happens to people in Alaska in the winter is, I mean, it is just profound the level of depression that happens. So we know that. We know that geographically that depression changes as you change the sunlight. I'm going to say we're moving <laughs> that 30 degree line through all this technology that we're exp we're ma we're becoming more like people living in Alaska yeah. than people living in Miami. Okay, because we're changing through social environmental decisions about how we're doing our life to make ourselves deprived yeah. of this energy thing. Nobody would ever exactly. question that seasonal affective disorder goes hand in hand. Depression goes hand in hand with the amount of sunlight you're exposed to. But if we think of that in our own lives, what choices am I making during the day and making my children experiencing during the day, okay, that is actually setting them up that we're moving them further and further away from the equator. Yeah, absolutely. Let me throw in one more. Sure. Right? Curious to hear your thoughts on this as a pediatric neuropsychologist, right? Working with families. And I know that your your doctoral work or your doctoral dissertation was about family systems. Yeah. So let's throw this in. Again, Big question is causation or correlation, right? But coincidental with all of this, we had the breakdown of the family. Mm -hmm. Okay. We were talking in the last episode about how in order to read, you have to decode the letters on the page and interpret those to have meaning. And then we were saying, you know, in a sense, you have to do that socially. You have to be able to like look at people's, the expressions on their faces, the tone of voice, their mannerisms. That's how you sort of read the room, what's going on. And so there's a sort of social IQ that comes with that. So when you grew up in a big family and you grew up with siblings all around you and mom and dad and whatever, cousins, you were sort of from a very early age sort of forced to sort of learn how to socially decode what's going mm -hmm. on, right? Because you had brothers and sisters and cousins and aunts and uncles and moms and dads all around you all the time. And those tones of voice, those mannerisms, those that body language, all that stuff, you had to sort of decode it and figure out what's going on. Now what you have is 
service economy, commuter culture, people living in their cars, staring at screens all the time. And they literally have less people around because either A, divorce, breakdown, or simply smaller and smaller families where you don't have four or five brothers and sisters. So children, are they growing up today too without that capacity to develop a social IQ? And does that also impact the statistics that we're seeing in terms of mental disorders? Absolutely. And I would throw out a couple different phrases here is that relationships either make you sick or they make you better. If you don't have relationships, you can't, you know, you're going to not grow. Okay. And the other thing is life without relationships is like life without air. Okay. We have become a very, a culture based on acquiring things, getting a certain status, um, where the focus is, I mean, it doesn't take long if you just get on social media, you'll know what the most important things are, and that is acquiring things, objects, um, but not a ton about real relationships and flesh and blood relationships that you're interacting with. And so when this dominant thing that used to be in the culture where family was first, Okay, families above everything else and respect of each other. Like if you ask any of my kids, like, what's dad going to say when we get in trouble? I'm going to say, what is the main thing we live by? It's respect. We respect each other, right? And that was not respectful of mom, of your sibling. And that is a principle that drives how we do things that how we look through the lens of life, right? Well, we learn these principles that affect our actions in this tight, tighter system, this safe system of a family. And uh, as that disintegrates, or there might be a structure there, but it isn't really people that are present, right? Like, yeah, there's a mom and dad and some kids and, but nobody's present. They're either they're either not there because they're off commuting to their whatever, or if they're there, everybody's sitting there looking at their phone. Oh, absolutely. I mean, come on. Let's be real. Think about when last time you were in the living room, how many people were on their phones. They weren't present with each other. I thought it was interesting just watching the, the Deion Sanders prime thing, and he needs his guys to concentrate. Everybody phones outside in this room of 100 football players, and you see this foot, this table out in the hallway that's just stacked with phones. Well, Neon, uh, De- Neon, <laughs> Neon. Neon, Dion knew that he needed them to be present because he was going to give them the game plan, and that game plan was going to prepare them for battle to go win, right? And they crushed this team, right? He knew that was a distraction. And there's a lot bigger battles in our life than a football game, but we get distracted by these things and we negate the worth of this human being that's right next to me, that's flesh and blood, that I really need that relationship. I need that interaction because that's going to make me healthier. Life is needs relationships and they build off of each other and so anything that gets in the way of that relationship not that we all throw our phones away 
it'll be interesting to see what happened if we did. But we have to think about there's it's finite. Your energy, the amount of time that you have is finite. And how are you spending that? And if you're not making a choice that's moving you forward, it's moving you backwards. Like Kirk Cousins in one of our videos would say, if if I'm not getting stronger, then the next guy is getting stronger than me and moving forward, right? And in our life, we have to be thinking about, if I'm going to choose to do this, if I'm going to scroll for two hours, right, and not create, not interact, not get outside with this life force that's, that's around me, which is the sun and the environment, then I'm taking away from my autonomic nervous system. So all of these things, and some of these people our listeners may agree with, not agree with, whatever. Whatever other things that we want to add to this list, okay, they all go up to, upstream to an autonomic nervous system that's become fragile. We have a fragile, broken autonomic nervous system individually, but in our culture, because yeah. we're missing these components that make our nervous system stronger. Well, you, you've said several times in this conversation that if you add something, you have to create space. You can't just keep adding, adding, adding. And that brings us back kind of where we started the conversation because we were talking about with tsunamis, it's a displacement of water. So if you have an underwater earthquake yes. or landslide where the seafloor rises up, that, that water has to go somewhere and it sloshes up on the land, right? Well, back to the beginning, we look at this, what we've been saying here is you've displaced the most existential elements of our lives. You've changed the nature of our work, the nature of our environments, how we get places, you know, the commuter culture, the natures of our food and our diet. You've displaced how we spend our time, where we put our eyes, how we sleep, how we interact with other human beings. And when you change all of that and don't really create other space, that, that pressure, that displacement has to go somewhere. And as you say, it's going into, well, it's breaking our autonomic nervous systems because we were designed by our creator to be a certain way and the ways you've described. And you can't make those shifts without something snapping. And that's where we're seeing the anxiety, the, the four horsemen, the anxiety, depression, PTSD, and substance abuse, which is just skyrocketing in our society. And unless we do something innovative and proactive, what's going to stop this? Yeah, and absolutely. And when I think of what we're doing, which is going to come up, I think, in our next podcast, is we're not going back to these seismic shifts or rifts in the surface of the ocean floor to repair that, which is the autonomic nervous system. Okay, what is the equivalent of the landslide or the earthquake or this uh, shift in the surface of the floor of the ocean that causes the tsunami? It's our breakdown of our autonomic nervous system. What we're trying to do is we're over on the shore and the tsunami's coming and everybody's getting handed an umbrella, <laughs> right? Here's your umbrella of Prozac. You know, here's your umbrella of Ritalin, right. you know, of uh, Xanax. Hey, go talk to somebody about yeah. this, right? Like, and so everybody is just like, they, they all got up off their beached house, right? Right. 
And now they all are holding their umbrellas. Right. And the tsunami's hitting them. They're like, well, why isn't this thing changing? Right. I thought these medicines were supposed to eradicate right. mental illness on the planet. Right. We were told that in the late yep. 1980s. And in the last 20 years, it's gotten 40% worse. Right. The umbrellas will not solve the, the system, systemic problem that exists right. will not be solved by the umbrellas. Can we help? Can those things be helpful? Absolutely. Right. But until we go back to the ocean floor, till we go upstream to the autonomic nervous system and repair it at its core, and whatever's caused that shift, it may be all these things we've talked about. It may be one of these things. It may be four other things we haven't talked about. It, it, that isn't what this podcast is about, is whose opinion on this. It's There's been a shift in our autonomic nervous system, and it's created the tsunami, and we have to figure this out, or we're going to destroy our culture with this. And I, I need people to, to really think about, when we talk about these numbers, okay, when we say one out of five, think about five people in your life, okay? I think about our family right now is at 11 people, okay? It's Joe and Grace, it's Audrey and Gavin, it's Kate and John, it's Elise and Jake, it's Amelia, and it's Amy and me, okay? One out of five, who's that going to be? There's two of them. Right. There's two of them in your family. Okay, that means way more to me than when you just when we say yeah. one out of five. We're like one out of five. Okay, yeah, I hear these statistics. I see them on social yeah. media, and that's the other thing is we get so inundated with so much information that these important things just like blow right by. That's two of those people in my life. Yeah. I think of like my five best friends. Right. That means one of them is going to experience a significant mental problem. Yeah. in their life so like we have to wake up to this and we're i'm urging our listeners to kind of like join join this band of brothers to fight uh, this thing right and sure. that's what we want to do for sure well preach it doc that Let's sounds go. That's fantastic <laughs> all right thanks a lot and thanks for joining us for the podcast and we will be having actually a book coming out about this within the next month or so so we'll be saying more about that coming up very soon this has been the inner armor podcast you can find it wherever you get your podcasts would you please follow or subscribe and make sure to leave us a review or comment you can learn more about Inner Armor, Dr. Royer, and how to perform at your potential by going to forgeinnerarmor.com. <laughs>